Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is Roofing It, a podcast by me, Armando Jaycox. I am a local Denver roofing contractor, and I'm very passionate about the roofing business. I created this podcast to create some educational content for consumers of roofing products and roofing services, and also for my fellow roofing contractors. I wanted something educational that they can listen to while they drive around in the trucks all day. So thank you again for listening, and I really hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so today we have Greg Malarkey from Malarkey Roofing Products, Vice President of Sales. Is that right? No, Is that your no, position? No. I'm Senior Vice President. Senior Vice President. Yeah. Period. Period. <laughs> okay. Period. For some reason, I thought you were Vice President of Sales. At one point, I was. At okay. one point, I was. But, you know, I've got enough titles to choke a horse. Currently, I'm <laughs> Chairman of ARMA's Executive Committee. Um, I'm the immediate past president. Uh, I was involved heavily with the Asphalt Institute Foundation, was their vice chairman, uh, was the chairman of the Asphalt Institute Foundation Research Committee. Uh, we put on the STAR Symposium, which was a strategic asphalt uh, research symposium that was held here in uh, Colorado a couple of years ago, where we had about 150 folks from around the world, uh, top in the asphalt world, talking about what kind of research we needed to do uh, to take asphalt into the 22nd century. So that was very interesting. interesting. That was a lot of fun, yeah. So You're also, I think you work with the NRCA as well, right? Well, I, I, so uh, tangentially, you know, I've, I've been involved with the NRCA for a long time. Um, at one point, I was uh, the co-chairman of the Asphalt Roofing Environmental Council, which included uh, the Asphalt Institute, uh, the Asphalt Roofing Manufacturers Association, and, of course, the NRCA. Okay. And, uh, and currently, um, I'm representing the Asphalt uh Roofing manufacturers at what's called the Performance Roofing Insurance Council, which has uh, IBHS and the NRCA. I like that one. I, I started that, so I got to name it. So if you, you know, prick. So, <laughs> you know, people ask me why, why I named it that. And I said, well, that's hilarious. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let everybody else try to figure out why I named the, uh, the area, uh, name of the group prick. So. Well, Greg, so like you know, we, this the audience here is our consumers who are looking to get roofing mm -hmm. products, and also yep. fellow colleagues in the business and the industry. And then you never know who's going to you know listen. Absolutely. So um, you know, but we, um, I did want to jump in a couple things because um, you know you you come from a really your your family is extremely enterprising, you know, um, and that's one thing that's inspired me because I, I partnered with F Wave to or, sorry F Wave with um, with Malarkey to. Um, to install all my asphalt products. So and one of the reasons for that is because you're, you're, uh, we share similar values in my company and in your company, uh, which is the family values. Mm -hmm. Super important. Potentially the most important. It's up um, on the list. Yeah, it's up absolutely. there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. So, and, and just, I know, so one thing that I know some roofers have kind of mentioned to me, I've been kind of asking what questions would you like me to ask? A lot of people think that you are the sole owner of Malarkey Roofing oh, Company. No, 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 no. <laughs> Can you set the record straight yeah. there? No, I, I, I own a... You're, you're sort of the face of the company. Yeah, so I, that's part of my job. Okay. Um, I own a square foot of swamp out back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, no, I, I, the, the, so it's a family company. It was started by my grandfather. So all three of my grand... My grandfather had three kids, so one 
the, and he passed, you know, the company moved on to, to those folks and now we're on to another generation. And so mm-hmm. my father's passed and my uncle's passed. So at this stage of the game, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a family business and, um, you know, uh, but I don't own it completely all by my lonesome. I, like I okay. said, I got a square foot of swamp out back. Well, one thing uh, is, um, you know, I, I did get at the international roofing expo, um, I was able to meet uh, Sharon Malarkey. She mm-hmm. went there, and it was really cool to see her. You yep, know, and, she's um, my aunt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she she was very, you know, had nothing but good things to say about you and how you stepped up to the plate. You know, when oh, she's um, very kind. Checks yes, in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> when when um, Michael passed, you know, God rest his soul, and mm-hmm. he um, he he uh, you know, and you sort of like stepped up to the plate at that mm-hmm. time, right? And that, that must have been job. a very tumultuous time. I'm, I'm guessing right? it's tough. You know, I mean, when you've had uh, had somebody that you look up to and has been leading your group for a long period of time, and all of a sudden he's not there. I mean, he, he did step away a bit over the years when he finally, his, his health wasn't so good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had some, uh, some practice runs, I guess you'd say, but no, it's, it's tough. It's very hard. There's a lot of emotions. One of the problems with family business is it's very difficult to separate the business and the family. Yeah. Uh, if you go to Christmas dinner, you talk about business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have somebody's birthday party for somebody's kid, you talk about business. Uh, and so it's a tie that binds, but it's also a tie that confuses things. And so that's difficult. So, you know, you have a combination of, uh, grief for loss of my uncle. I was very close to him. Uh, you know, he was, uh, uh, he, he out, outlived my father. So did he men- mentor you? Of course. Yeah. No, okay. he, he, <laughs> so he was the youngest of his generation and I was the eldest of mine. So, okay. uh, he taught me to cut knife, uh, use a knife and fork to cut a piece of meat, you know? So like I have nephews, right? Mm-hmm. I love my nephews mm-hmm. a lot. I take, actually had a nephew in here in the podcast. He helped me take photos and stuff. There you go. We, um, we really, uh, you know, I, I had him wearing company shirts and stuff like that. I got some photos. Is that kind of growing up? He was kind of like, you know, kind of help, you know, well, he was a combination guide you through life. He was, he was my uncle and, and then became my best friend as well as my uncle. Wow. And then after my father passed, he was sort of a father figure as well. But, you know, I mean, your point to family business and what I was trying to say about everything sort of being commingled, it's amazing what you learn from uh, your folks above you. And it's not just in going to school, if you will, but you pick up all kinds of things. You, you were talking about the quality of the product and uh, all that. You know, you don't pick that up because you work with them you pick that up because they were in your life the whole time. And so his, his feelings about product quality and those kinds of things that just came through and it came through at dinner. It came through at Christmas, you know, celebrations. It, it didn't stay just at the office. He had a, his, one of his, his values, his core values was, it seems to be a commitment to quality in anything that he did. Really. It sounds like, I think that's uh, and that's something he got from my grandfather and got from uh, his great grandfather. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that our family's always done. And, I, I, and people talk about quality in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. From a manufacturing point of view, mm-hmm. from a, just being a manufacturer, do you know what quality is? No. Quality, me, please. Yeah, quality <laughs> is making a product to the specification. Okay. So, for example, if you, make, if you want to make a weight that's 100 pounds, and if you make it 105 or if you make it 95, they're both equally wrong. Okay. Okay, because you're trying to make something at 100 pounds. So 101's off, but 99 is off. Mm-hmm. So that's what, when you listen to a, a manufacturer like myself talk about quality, what we're really saying is we make what we intend to make. Okay. okay? That's very different than what most folks think of quality. Most folks think of quality as how well does a product perform? And that falls into fitness of use. I mean, if you want to make a really, really shitty shingle, 
Mm -hmm. And if that's your goal Mm -hmm. and you write a specification for that goal and you really make as exactly what you wanted to do, a really Mm -hmm. shitty shingle, then you are making a quality product. Mm. That happens to be a okay. really shitty shingle. Okay. Okay. So, so the point there is, is that what you intend to make is as important, okay, mm-hmm. as what the goal of everything is. So mm-hmm. it's a two-parter on the quality side. Mm-hmm. What do you intend to make and how well do you make that? Whatever it is that you intended to make. So when, when I sit down and try to design new products, um, I'm, I have the whole issue of quality because you know, we're a manufacturer, and I don't want somebody on the line to decide today, hey, uh, the legacy shingle should weigh 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. No, stop. That's mm-hmm. not what your job is. Your job's to make it at 275. Mm-hmm. Not 300, not 250, 275. Okay. And th- so that's the quality aspect that most manufacturers talk about. Well, can we talk a little bit about the quality in conjunction with innovation? And performance? Because it seems like um, innovation sometimes happens, maybe and from your um, definition, almost on by not being a quality. In a uh, way, right? No, 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 no. Okay. No. I mean, so you got to separate it in two parts. The factory, the guys who are actually making the product. Mm-hmm. You know, think of it this way. If you uh, have a boat and you want to sail to England, mm-hmm. okay, you know where you're going, okay? And so a quality ship will f- sail as, you know, well as it can and reach England. Boom. Okay, that was a qu- Now, it could be a leaky boat. It could be a slow boat. It could be a fast boat. So th- the whole aspect of the quality is getting to England. You get there, that's 100% quality mm-hmm. from a manufacturing point of view. Now, if you want to talk about you know having a large luxury liner and the experience that you had, well, that's another level of quality. And that's what most consumers think of as quality. Yes. They think yeah. about uh, how well the roof actually Customer performs. Experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Does, it, does, it, does it perform as advertised? Does it meet your expectations? Does it meet your needs? That's how most people think of quality. Mm-hmm. So it's important that when you talk to a manufacturer, you understand that when a manufacturing company says, we make a quality product, they mean we build what we intended to build. Mm. So if you have a less than stellar performing shingle, but it was intended to be a less than stellar shingle, mm-hmm. then the manufacturer will talk about how great their quality is, just meaning they made what they intended to make. Well, Greg, on touching on that quality aspects and the two sort of aspects to it is that uh, Malarkey Roofing Products has a reputation for withholding to to, uh, to um, holding up to hailstorms. Oh yeah, really Absolutely. well. So yes. much, so well actually that a lot of contractors don't even want to install it because well, they think they're yeah. never going to do the roof again. Well, they 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 they're, then they are also very challenged by math. Okay. 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 Um, because if Malarkey, if everybody put just Malarkey down, it mm-hmm. would take a long time before we ran out of roofs and had to go back around again the second time. So that's not really uh, reasonable. Because they're not going to, I mean, they're warrantied for uh, well, I up to 50 years and then the, the highest sort of level. And then, uh, you know, so it's not like it's going to last forever. No, it's, no, not, it's, it's not a it's, slate roof, right? Not, well, and, and even slate doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. So no, no, nothing's indestructible. I mean, and it's silly to go out there and say, oh, this is, you know, the thing forever and ever, no matter what. That's not going to work. You got to be real about it. But you were talking about innovation, and innovation is is about looking at something and trying to figure out how you can do what you're doing at the best possible level. Okay. Okay. And part of that is looking at what has to happen. I'm a big fan. Of, okay. Can I pause for a second? Sure. It's really important. I think is that. You know, your definition of innovation is how do we do what we do at the best possible level? Right. Okay. So that's kind of the Malarkey's sort of approach to 
how you're doing yeah, things, your, your culture. It's it, it's mm-hmm. how can we best possible way to do this? Right, exactly. Why would you do something in a less uh, a lesser manner? Why, why, why? If you're going to build something, money. A lot d- of people do it for money. Oh, well, you know, yeah, for, because but, but of profitability. I think that's short sighted. I completely agree. I think that's very short-sighted. Um, how did, uh, so what you're really talking about, a lot of roofers would say, hey, we don't want to put down a great product that's going to perform well in an environment that's going to protect the folks uh, and the things that they cherish. I mean, a home but is- We can call that number one objection to using malarkey, I think, in the roofing community. Okay, and, and that's fine. If that's How did that work out for Detroit in 1972? Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody's going to produce something that's going to be better for the consumer. Yes. If you don't do it, somebody else will. Yes. Okay. Somebody's going to be wanting to, they wants to wants to meet the consumer in the best way they can. Well, I've been in this business for 40 years. Okay. Um, and the number one question that I am asked by folks all over the industry, and I travel around and uh, represent the industry as well as malarkey. Yeah. And people ask me over and over again, asphalt shingles, uh, they're the thing. 80 plus percent of all the sloped roofing is going asphalt. What's going to replace asphalt shingles? Yeah. And I have gotten that question for years. Okay. Okay. And some people say this, some people say that. You know what I say? Hmm. Polymer modified asphalt shingles will replace asphalt shingles. Okay. There is no question. They are absolutely okay. superior on any level that you want to look at, period. Okay. End of story. Okay. You know? And so. Well, because there's so, like, for a lot of people who don't really even kind of understand that level as far as, like, shingles, an asphalt shingle is made with asphalt. Right. Asphalt. Yeah. And so um, what, what, <laughs> what, your, what, what Malarkey is doing is modifying that asphalt by using polymers, which is, uh, is sort of a fancy way to say a synthetic sort of like, um, I don't want to say plastics, really, well, but well, polymers are made with plastics. So, um, okay, so let's just back up. Asphalt. What is asphalt? Uh, just the stuff there you, you see in the street. There you go, asphalt. So did you know that asphalt's naturally occurring? No. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you go to your Bible and you look up the story of Noah, mm-hmm. um, God gave Noah a specification, mm-hmm. okay, uh, to build the ark, you know, so many cubits by so many cubits, and told him to waterproof and roof with pitch, which is another word for asphalt. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, right. Hey, asphalt specified wow. by God. I mean, yes. seriously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but no, that's, that's absolutely the truth. Uh, asphalt's naturally occurring. The Egyptians used to take asphalt that was naturally occurring and mix it with resins and waxes and use it in the mummification process. Okay. Okay. So asphalt's wow. been around for a long time. Asphalt uh, is, is naturally occurring and it comes from oil. And over time, the, oil, the light ends of the oils bubble off and the asphalt is what's left. The La Brea tar pit in Southern California is natural asphalt. Mm-hmm. So natural asphalt's been around for a long time. Today, what we use is asphalt that we call distilled, and that's made by the oil refineries. And so what they do is they take a barrel of oil and they cook it. They basically boil it. And what's left after they take all the goodies out for gasoline and jet fuel and all that, the thing that's left they call resid. That's what we call asphalt. Mm. Okay. And uh, so that's changing because the different okay. kinds of oils that are coming in and the refineries kept getting better and better. But that's where the asphalt comes from, on the roads and on the roofs. And about 15% of all the asphalt made is suitable for traditional asphalt shingles. The other okay. 85% go to roads. Hmm. So when you think about that, stop for a moment, and you really want to learn about asphalt, you don't talk to the roofing guys, you talk to the road guys because hmm. they're 85%. So 
one of the things about asphalt is, is that it needs to be worked another step uh, so that we can make it into roofing. And traditionally, we do that by oxidation. It's called blow stills. And that's the way that people have made it since 1894, I think, was when the uh, patent was put up. So for all those shingles that you put down that were not polymer modified, you're working with 1894 technology. Wow. Okay. So wow. that's wow. Works pretty good. Yeah. Hanging in there for over a century, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what polymers do is that they actually modify the asphalt or change the asphalt's physical performance. And we can literally create asphalt performance however we choose. Okay. And so we're now today at Malarkey literally engineering asphalt. Traditionally, you just took whatever they gave you. We didn't think that was acceptable. Like you're making it from scratch, like in a lab, basically? Mm-hmm. That's really quite... Really? Yeah. So we take the raw wow. asphalt, and then we start building it. So some people would call us engineers of asphalt. So you must have uh, a pretty strong research and development department. Oh, been there for years. Okay. So. Okay. I mean, so we, we kind of... Uh, Malarkey's led the charge in asphalt modification mm-hmm. um, and and also bringing fiberglass into the industry first yep. for first to bring fiberglass. Well, we the- weren't the first. We weren't the first. Okay. Um, the very first fiberglass shingles were made in the early '60s, um, but it didn't really take off in '75. We started our glass plant, and in '76 we started producing fiberglass shingles, which also was the first year that Arma started tracking fiberglass shingles. And by the end of the '80s, fiberglass shingles had wiped out the old paper shingles. Um, okay. And I see the same thing going to happen with uh, asphalt and polymer modified asphalt. We we expect okay. that to completely change the business. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think in a few years, uh, virtually every manufacturer will maybe they won't use our technology, but they use something like it. Yeah. Uh, today. Owens Corning, GAF, uh, IKO, uh, Atlas, uh, BP, uh, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Owens Corning, GAF, Certainteed. They've all brought shingles out. Mm-hmm. So they're following us now. It yeah. only took them, you know, 30 years. Yeah. But hey, so, <laughs> right. so virtually, you know, with the exception of Tamco and Pabco, everybody has a polymer shingle that they're currently offering for sale. Yeah, they're well, not they, doing they, that. Uh, that's kind of their high end part of asphalt. And one, one thing that I I love about Malarkey, the reason I love um, you know installing on my client's roof is that they have a, there's a class three and a class four, and from what I can tell, um, uh, they're one of Malarkey is potentially there might be one other asphalt manufacturer who makes class three, but it's not. There's not really anybody doing it. No, no, no. They all are focused on that class four market. But, you know, I'll I give you our newest product. It's called Highlander Next. Okay. And Highlander Next um, is polymer modified. Okay. And it will perform. It's not impact rated, okay. but it will perform better than other products, period. I promise you on that one. Okay. But it's at a price point that uh, anybody can afford. Absolutely. Uh, and, and because, what, only rich people should have good roofs? I'm sorry. I don't buy that. Well, you know, I think uh, you, you don't have to be rich to have a class three. No, you don't. As a matter of fact, that's sort of my, my I like I like the Highlander. I, mm-hmm. I do. I do like it. Um, but the problem is that I'm in Colorado and, I, and a roofer sure. in Colorado and I only install impact resistant. Right. Nothing well, else. It, it, it gives me a competitive edge in the marketplace. You know, when someone says, well, do you want to work with a guy who'll give you anything or you want to work with a guy who only installs impact resistant? And in this market, you're out of your mind not installing an impact resistant roofing. I mean, right now there's a lot of talk about building resiliently. Okay, resilient building. Mm-hmm. And resilient building basically is building to uh, expect what's going to happen in your market. And you guys in Colorado have hail, shockingly. Yeah. Uh, so why would you put a roof on that wasn't 
intended to deal with that. Cost of they again going back to being cost effective. It's not cost effective. So Fort Collins, Colorado, um, in January changed their code mm-hmm. uh, to only allow uh, impact resistant asphalt shingles. Yeah. Now a lot of folks talk about well that's because it hails. No, the reason is is that we've thrown so many shingles away mm-hmm. that the landfill is filling up and they're going to have to close the bloody landfill. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Um, wasting things is insanity. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to do a lesser job and create waste and fill the landfill. Well, it, um, Greg, I love it. You brought no that up. Sense. It's, it's, that's huge. I mean, and one thing, one of the reasons I love using malarkey is because the, the aspect of recycled, using recycled, mm-hmm. you know, the um, recycling just in general. Well, it's in the culture. Upcycling. Right? Um, yeah. Upcycling. Yes, thank yeah. you. Upcycling. So in Fort Collins, yeah, they, um, you know, what you're referring to is they changed the law there where you, if you put a new roof on, it's going to be class four impact resistant. That's, that's really interesting. And the reason is, is they got to slow the amount of shingles going to the landfill. Yes. Yeah. Somebody told me that it was going to cost uh, Fort Collins like $125 million to close the landfill. That's amazing. That's incredible. I mean, that's, that's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. Why? Yeah. Because you're putting a roof on that's not reasonable for an hail region? Yeah. How about you put the roof on that's reasonable for the hail region? Yeah. We live in a closed system. The earth is a functional closed system. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. I mean, it does, but it, for all practical purposes, we're, we're, this is it. Yeah, we've got as much ocean as we're ever going to have. We have as much air as we're ever going to have. Why would we want to waste anything? Mm-hmm. Why would we want to? Th- and the, you're saying that the the Earth's resources are finite. Well, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> take a look. Take. A look. Well, we could get into some sort of transcendental, you know, oh, ideas, absolutely. and people might say, "Well, you know, the the more you imagine things, the more they can the the universe sort of creates more." I don't know. We still got to get off the planet. Yeah, I mean, like I said, th- th- there's there's only one Pacific Ocean, there's only one set of Rocky Mountains. Yeah, it's not like we can just go get there's another one. one. Fort Collins. There's only one Fort it's Collins. It's a great little town. Yeah, too. It's, it's beautiful town. Yeah, it's beautiful town. Um, so yeah, for people who, you know, who um, for for the client who you know wants to get into an impact resistant class four might be a little farther out of reach. We can get him. We I, I can now say, well, you know what? Let's let's just do it the class three. Well, that was the whole point of bringing out Vista. So yeah. I'm. I'm I've led the, uh, the design team for Legacy, Vista, mm-hmm. and now Highlander Next. And okay. so I'm very proud of our uh, offerings. Yeah. Um, I've been designing roofing products, like I say, for years. Um, and today, the, the, our, our next uh, technology, uh, utilizing upcycled uh, products such as synthetic rubber tires, yeah. Uh, we also uh, upcycle from plastics, okay. uh, so we use those as well. And um, well, can you d- define upcycling? Well, sure. Recycling is where you take uh, paper is a good example. You have your paper cup from Starbucks, and it's got so much recycled paper, and it means that. And then you take the cup, throw it away, and they break it down and they put it back in. So it's displacing the same stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Upcycling is where you take something that's going to be you know recycled, class uh, quote unquote, but you Let's actually say, uh, milk jug, milk jug, but you actually uh, move it into a higher use. Okay. So for example, okay. the a car tire. You know, it's if you were going to technically recycle a car tire, you'd put it into a new car tire. Yes. Okay, and so it's functionally displacing some of the virgin material. With upcycling, what we're doing is we're taking that and we're using it for a higher use. Okay. So it's actually more valuable to us. And so we're able to displace, instead of um, 
car tires, what we're actually doing is using it to enhance physical properties of the shingle. Okay. So that's what we call upcycling. Okay. Okay. So, you know, um, th- this, uh, this discussion has been fascinating so far. As a roofing guy and sort of a <laughs> roofing nerd, I love it. Oh, yeah. um, how, so I, I do want you to, you didn't always, you didn't always want to get into manufacturing, right? I mean, was that sort of a, your, what you wanted to do with your life's work? How did you get into this business? I was born in it, you know, I mean, seriously. As a teenager, you said, I'm going to go work for the, for my my grandfather's plant. I mean, I started growing up. I, my very first job at Malarkey was picking up paper when I was a kid, um, talking about recycling. So when I started going to uh, college in Portland, I didn't live there and Portland's where our plant was. One of my first gigs at college was I went around the dorms and I picked up everybody's newspapers and I hauled them down to the factory Mm -hmm. where they would buy the used newspaper Mm -hmm. and we would be those newspapers up and make them into new paper for new asphalt shingles. Oh, wow. Okay. So, okay. I mean, so, and I've been around forever. Um, I actually did a stint in radio. I sold telephones for a while. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of escaped for a while. I worked, okay. I worked, uh, how long did you escape for? Uh, it was only about four years. Okay. Um, so I, I worked my way through school. Working. And when your uncle was like, Craig, what are you doing? Come over here. No, actually, um, you know, it was, uh, I, I graduated from college and uh, went to work for the company. Okay. I had been working for him, you know, I mean, like I said, ever since I was a kid, every yeah. summer I worked in the factory. When I finally turned 18, I got to work on the line, the 18. You, you were a, a child, a little kid going to grandpa's uh, factory. Right. I played okay. around there. I, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, wow. You know, my That's brothers really and cool. I played around there. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, absolutely. And so for me, asphalt's just something, you know, it's been around. And so anyway, I graduated from uh, college and went to work for a couple of years. And my uncle and I had a disagreement. Um, he was absolutely certain he had fired me. I was certain that he was wrong. I had quit first. Okay. So, <laughs> and about, uh, so I, I left and my, uh, my wife and I at the time moved up to Seattle and hmm. I sold, uh, telecommunications equipment for a few years. And that wow. was an interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, my grandmother called me one day and said, we would like you to come back and, uh, help the company. And I okay. said, well, um, you know, been there, done that. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, um, uh, so I said, appreciate the offer, but no, I'm starting a new life in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So about a month later, she called me up and said, when you were in college and you were going to get thrown out and I came in to rescue you, you owe me. Mm-hmm. So you, I'm sending your brother up with a U-Haul van. This is your van. grandma. This is my grandmother. Okay. She called and she says, I'm sending your brother up with a U-Haul van. You go in Monday, give okay. your notice, and in two weeks, your brother's going to show up and pick you up. And I expect you to report for work, uh, you know, two weeks from now. Wow. Okay. And then she hung up the phone. Wow. Uh, I turned to my wife and Very I said, "Very strong woman." Yeah, I turned to my wife and I said, "I think we're moving to Portland." So, <laughs> so that's how I came back, and I and I okay. came back to run sales. Um, okay, and so I've experienced both in quality, like sales, as far as like with the territory managers. And, uh, I was and running sales for the company, right? Uh, so out in the field, field sales, mm-hmm. like with, working with contractors. Like I me. worked with contractors. Um, we were a smaller. I mean, I'm old, so it was okay. a smaller company. Yeah, um, but no. So Did you work I, with Ed Cochran. I hired Ed Cox. Did you really? Okay. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> okay. And he was, so you were his boss for a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, all yeah. right. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's okay. up in Wyoming, I think. Yes, he is. I want to get him in here one of these days. Oh, he'd be, he's grand fun. Ask him about hunting and being a Wyoming guy out in the woods. With yeah. The, yeah. He's okay. insane. So you and Ed were this whole area, this whole, the Western, you were in the Western states. Yep. Taking, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, uh, producing sales, building the company. Mm-hmm. And before it was uh, hail, it was wind. How many employees were back then, do you think? Oh, God. We, my goodness, I don't know. Maybe a hundred? Maybe a hundred. Okay. You know, when I came back to the company, we were not in great shape. And that was, uh, 
uh, we were we had the Portland plant only and in mm-hmm. tough times, mm-hmm. and so there you know there weren't a lot of us around. I think maybe when I got back to the company, there were maybe fifty or sixty folks. Oh wow! Okay. And today we're going to be over five hundred. Yeah, uh, we're orders of magnitude larger. Well, I've been, you know, I went to the, I met all the, a lot of the senior um, leadership with, uh, over at the International Roofing Expo mm-hmm. and a um, great group of people. And, and uh, I met, uh, everyone kind of still has that sort of like family vibe culture that, you know, we, this is still a family business. Oh, yeah. We're a huge family business, but, well, well, you know, nevertheless. We're a bigger, we're a bigger family business. We're a bigger I wouldn't, family. I wouldn't but, go to huge. Okay. <laughs> couldn't go to huge. Well, that's kind of one thing that's kind of interesting about malarkey is that it's, it's, um, it's not, it's, it's not your, uh, you know, giant multinational corporation. It's a, a smaller roofing manufacturer based out of Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. with an emphasis on recycled upcycling materials with an emphasis on quality, mm-hmm. premium, premium, uh, products mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and something you really Really want to? You can put you can a product you can you can get behind. Well, people ask me about that a lot, and my simplest way to explain it is is that my name is on every single package, Mm. every single one. Yeah, and I would really, really be embarrassed if we weren't trying to do our very, very best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you want to, so pick a consumer up, has an int- has a problem with a warranty warranty a defect, you're 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 uh, willing to stand by behind. Oh it? hell, I'm trying to be nice. And, I mean, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you heard of a, if you heard of a rep not not getting behind it, that would infuriate you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. I'm not a fan of that. I mean, look, everybody makes mistakes. We're all human. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as I can tell, the last pers- perfect person walked the face of the earth two thousand years ago, and the penalty stroke for that is being crucified. Yes. So I don't have to worry about that because, you know, yeah. I mean, and nobody in our company is perfect. Yes. So it's, it, to me, it's not so much about, did you have a problem? The question isn't not, is not that. Mm-hmm. The question is, what do you do about the problem? Yeah. And if you're not going to step up and not going to try to be honorable about what you've tried to get, do, you really need to go do something else. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And, and it's tough. Sometimes the problems are really difficult to deal with. And, mm-hmm. and you have to just, you know, I, I, may, I know I'm going to get an uncomfortable phone call and I just got to pick up that phone, well, take the call and address the problem we, and get it fixed. Exactly. That's the way you got to deal with it. As I said, it's, it's not that people aren't going to have, we're going to have problems. Everybody's going to have problems. It's the nature of the beast. I yeah. mean, human it's the nature beings, of humanity. Right. Exactly. Right. Human beings are not perfect. Um, I, I've met some that think they are, but no, no, <laughs> we're not perfect. And so we make mistakes. We make yeah. mistakes. Sometimes we make silly choices and that causes as problems. But then what do you do after you've now realized you have a problem? You yes. need to step in, step up, and do your very damnedest, uh, your best to, to make sure that the situation's uh, really taken care of. It's all about responsibility. Yeah. Um, I, I personally have a philosophy, I call it radical responsibility. Okay. You, you First off, you got to know what's yours. You got to okay. own it. You okay. absolutely have to own it. Yeah. Um, if somebody is constantly telling you about how they're the victim because this happened to them or that happened, they're not owning their own stuff, which mm-hmm. makes them a victim. I don't mm-hmm. want to be a victim. So I own my own stuff. Okay. If I make a mistake, I stand up, I raise my hand, I say, I made this mistake. Mm-hmm. Now, because I've owned it, I have the ability to do things to change that. Well, from a leadership perspective, well, sometimes the problem wasn't necessarily connected to but you. Then it, you know? But then it gets to the second one, which is you also have to know that what you 
don't have responsibility for, you don't own. Okay. And it's important that you understand that that other person's responsibility is their responsibility. It's not yours. You can't make somebody else do something. Mm -hmm. And if you take that on yourself, you, you're in for a very, very nasty surprise. You start to carry the whole weight of the world on your shoulders. And then you won't be able to accomplish anything. So you got to yeah. really understand what, what your responsibilities are and you got to own them, even when it's uncomfortable, even yeah. when it's unpleasant. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to stand up and say to somebody that you value, I screwed up. Yeah. Absolutely. But once you've taken ownership, then you, because I screwed up, I can change my choices. Yeah. So now I can work to resolve it. I'm not a victim and I'm able to be responsible for our stuff. If you take somebody else's responsibility on, you can't do that. It, no matter how much you try, you can't be somebody else. Yeah. So it's important to have those things. So when it comes to having an issue with a product or a customer, mm -hmm. you got to really be careful to make sure that you stand up for all of your things that you are responsible for. Own them completely. Yes. And then you can make effective change. Yeah. Well, you know, on that note, um, I, I don't want to be responsible for making you late. I appreciate <laughs> so that. We're going to um, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you very much. This was really really great talk. Absolutely enjoyed Thank it. You. I'd love to come back sometime. Be Best great. of luck on your podcast and for all the roofers and in, uh, in Colorado. Thank you very much for your business. Absolutely. That concludes our episode, and thank you again for listening. If you like the podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give me a review. I'd love to see your feedback. I look forward to it. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.